Hi there and welcome. This is Amanda, the founder of Astrology Hub, and you're listening to our week ahead snapshot with world-class astrologer, historian, and author of the Cosmic Calendar, Christopher Renstrom. This show is designed to give you a quick overview of the week ahead, enabling you the gift of choice in how you navigate and weave these energies into your daily life. Enjoy. This podcast episode is sponsored by Astrology Hubs Academy. Wherever you are on your astrology journey, we have a class that will help you get to the next level. Hello, my name is Christopher Renstrom, your weekly horoscope columnist here on Astrology Hub. And this week, I would like to talk to you about the solar eclipse taking place at the critical 29th degree of Aries on April 20th. Now, there's a lot to unpack here because not only do we have a solar eclipse taking place at the anoretic degree, but we also have it very quickly followed by a Sun-Pluto square that will be taking place both on the same day, both on April 20th. So I thought, well, let's go ahead and unpack that and, and see what's up. So there's a lot to unpack here. So I would like to do it in the following order. I would like to talk to you about what a solar eclipse is. Oh, what the hell is an anoretic degree, which is a term that's making its way around astrological circles right now? And what does the Sun-Pluto square portend, especially since this is the first Sun-Pluto square that we will be having since Pluto entered the zodiac sign of Aquarius? What is an eclipse? Well, actually, there are two eclipses or two types of eclipses in astrology. There is the solar eclipse and the lunar eclipse. Basically, eclipses have had and still enjoy a bit of a dark reputation, <laughs> both literally and figuratively. The reason for this is that eclipses basically signaled lights out in heaven. In other words, when we have a solar eclipse, particularly a solar eclipse that's visible and takes place during the day, this is when the moon moves in front of the sun and blocks out its rays. This is something that here in America we experienced in the year 2017, August 2017, when the moon moved in front of the sun and blocked out its rays. Basically, uh, darkness fell, almost like curtains being released from a rod, it just, or, or an unfurling curtain. It, it just, darkness fell, not, not on the horizons, not gradual, gradually. It just fell. It just dropped into darkness. And I think that took place around noon or certainly at... Uh, at around the noon or, or one o'clock. So, so it was very dramatic in the parts of America, North America, where you could see it. And solar eclipses still have that kind of chilling effect to this day. I mean, the temperature, as you imagine, also suddenly drops when the sunlight is blotted from the sky. As you can imagine, in ancient times, this was a source of great anxiety. How about terror? Okay. <laughs> and a lot has been written about it in different myths and stories told and, and things along those lines. In the Aztec culture, for instance, in the Mesoamerican culture, there was this feeling that during an eclipse, um, when the world suddenly turned dark, all of the spirits of the underworld were released. 
and and they they could they could come up to the surface world. The sun was no longer here to to hold them at bay or to to dominate them. They could they could come up from the underworld and and get into all sorts of mischief, if not worse. Pestilence and illnesses were also associated to eclipses. The lunar eclipse, the lunar eclipse is an eclipse of the moon at night, and it always takes place during a full moon. So if you think of the sun during the day, and its light is never diminished unless it's setting or there's a cloud passing in front of it. But if you think of the sun during the day, it's a solar disk and it lights up everything and people can't really look it straight in the eye and all sorts of things. The moon was basically the lantern of the night. And a full moon was the moon at its most um, luminous, its most luminescent. And full moons, as we know, can cast shadows. You can be, I, I remember walking the dog one night and looking around like, am I casting a shadow? And I looked, there was the full moon and turned around and there's a shadow. So full moons can cast shadows. They, they can be that lit. And so a full moon is technically when the uh, earth in its orbit moves between the moon and the sun. A full moon is when the sun is opposite the moon in a zodiac chart. And so the earth moving between the sun and the moon casts its shadow on the moon. And so the moon oftentimes turns a dark orange or, or red and, is, and, and then disappears. And that was, was regarded as a lunar eclipse. And that could also be equally terrifying for ancient civilizations because they didn't have uh, electric lights like we do. And so they very much relied on moonlight. And to see it all of a sudden disappear was, was, was a very frightening thing because there was no assurance that these lights were going to return. If the sun disappeared in the middle of the day when it's not supposed to disappear, or the, moon, the full moon disappears at night when it's not supposed to disappear, that was a very frightening thing. And hence, a lot of the reputation surrounding eclipses tend to be a little bit more on the negative side. It reflects the fear and anxiety of these earlier times. Now, with solar eclipses, solar eclipses were always connected to the death of, 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 of a person of prominence, like a king or a ruler, or they could also pretend a battle, an, um, an upcoming battle that was going to be uh, really quite violent and calamitous. So, so the solar eclipses, you can sort of hear there, if it portends the death of a king or someone nice in power. Well, you know, the, the sun is the ruling planet of Leo, and so that goes for a king or a famous person and, and them being eclipsed. You know, it's, it's kind of easy to see how they came up with that association. It could also mean the eclipsing of fortunes of a nation which could occur during a war. Now, an eclipse of the moon, on the other hand, an eclipse of the moon talked about the land. It talked about the country because the moon was the planet that ruled over the domain of life here on Earth. So it was life in the country itself or life in the realm, what we might come to call nowadays body politic. So the, um, the eclipse of the moon might bring about things or signal pestilences, as I said, which were something that were often associated with eclipses, but also droughts, also death of livestock, sudden death of citizens. Uh, interestingly, not through war, but through more natural means. So that might be natural disasters or natural calamities or illnesses. And so, so the land becoming sick uh, was very much associated with the lunar eclipse. 
And so kings or queens or anyone in, in, in positions of power got uneasy around solar eclipses because they didn't know if their like number was up, but then they could become equally uneasy around lunar eclipses because if there's a failure in the crop, if there's a crop failure, that might lead to a revolution or a rebellion, or if there's another bout of the plague or something along those lines. So, so this is basically to illustrate where these ideas of eclipses come from. Nowadays, we take a little bit more of a benevolent look or view of, of the eclipses. Eclipses aren't so much associated with these dark times as they began to sort of pick up a different sort of meaning, especially to ancient astrologers, Hellenistic astrologers, which was the idea that, that you could use, actually predates Hellenistic astrologers because the Babylonians were doing this. Okay, my bad. But anyway, and correction. So um, what, what it was is that eclipses were used to actually time if your calendar was right or wrong. In other words, if you could successfully predict an eclipse, then you knew that your time, kind of like your, your watch or clock, was running on time, that it was running correctly. But if the eclipse took place at a time of year when it wasn't supposed to take place or didn't take place at all, then that would send the astrologers back to their tablets or their scrolls or papyrus or whatever to try to figure out what went wrong with that, how, how off was, was the clock. So there was this thing about timing eclipses, which became a thing uh, for a couple of centuries back there until it got down to a particular science. And nowadays we can pretty much time eclipses like clockwork. That notion of rectifying your calendar of correcting your calendar has lent itself to current interpretation of eclipses, particularly, uh, well, both eclipses, really. So a solar eclipse is this idea that there might be a sudden, there might be a sudden embarking on a different tangent in your life can take place with a solar eclipse. It might be a sudden departure or a sudden, you know, I'm going in this direction. I sort of liken a solar eclipse to looking through the front windshield and you're driving on the highway and, and Siri all of a sudden says, exit upcoming. And you're like on the lane, which is like three lanes to the left of the exit. And you're like, oh my goodness, I have to get off on that exit now. You know, so you're like, oh, that's not the way I drive. But a solar eclipse can be like, oh, I have to go there now. Okay. And so that can be the impact of a solar eclipse. It's the road ahead of you. It's looking to the future and it's saying, I need to go in that direction right now. All right. And so this becomes very crucial during the time of a solar eclipse. A lunar eclipse is kind of like looking through the rear view mirror. You're looking at the road behind you, how far you, you've come and how well you're doing. And so a lunar eclipse is really kind of always asking you, are you on iffy ground or not? What kind of ground are you on? It's also asking about how are you progressing with something that you started six months ago, for instance, with a lunar eclipse. If things unravel and fall apart, either in your life or in your body, because remember the moon rules the body, then that could, that could be attributed to a lunar eclipse. It's almost kind of like the sudden, imagine something wrapped around an object tightly and then it's been cut and then it just it uncoils. This is the energy of a lunar eclipse. All of a sudden, which all of a sudden something that had been held taut uncoils and unravels. And that can be a, a lunar eclipse. And sometimes that can be a good thing. And sometimes that can be like, 
Um, I liked the job I was working. What's up? Okay. And then, and, and it can be very, you know, uh, you know, uh, we, we can have that sort of reaction. But the solar eclipse is always looking forward to the future. Uh, technically, it's really supposed to be a year. I've seen it play out to two. Okay. So solar eclipses, uh, events that are happening around the solar eclipse can take two years to manifest, or it's going to describe a period that may be about two years long. Whereas the lunar eclipse, I've often seen to be about maybe six months before, not years, six months before. It doesn't have as long an effect, I think, or that's my experience reading charts. Um, and that comes completely from experience reading charts. It's not, you know, the God, God-written truth. It's not gospel. But I will often ask someone if they're going through an unraveling period brought about by a lunar eclipse, why don't you take a look at what was going in your on in your life six months before? And six months before might have been them starting something, a job, a relationship, maybe investing in an enterprise or an endeavor, and it wasn't really taking off, and it was hoping that it would take off, and then during this lunar eclipse, it just sort of unravels or goes kaput. That's the, that's the moon telling you, time to leave it and move on, okay? So, so if there's that feeling of things unraveling, the idea isn't to go and try to hold on to it. The, Ideas really to sort of see it as, okay, this is the moon clearing out the dead wood in my life. This is old business. This is stuff that I don't really need to be so absorbed in. Sometimes that can be like, oh, I don't need to be absorbed in this, you know, exercise in futility. Or sometimes it's like, I liked that relationship and now it's gone, you know, so it can be a little hard when the moon has decided, okay, I'm clearing out dead wood because some of that wood that the moon determines is dead, we might actually have a very fond affection for, and we don't want it cleared out. So, so this is where eclipses kind of take over the chart. They kind of take over the steering wheel of the chart. And, and that can be a bit unnerving. Eclipses have always carried with them a kind of faded feeling or destined feeling. And we in our modern age don't really like that much. Uh, that's because we've gotten used to our freedom of choice. You know, we'd like to have choices. We like to have options. We like to have a say in where our life is going. And this is kind of a reminder that there are times in our lives um, and there are times in the courses of the planets in which the choice isn't in our hands. It's out of our hands. And we have to find some way to absorb or to deal with it. So that's the history of eclipses in a nutshell. The uh, history hitting on their ominous associations, but also on their empowering associations as well. They, they can also have that uh, flavor as well. Um, but the big thing to think about with an eclipse is that it is a life course corrector or a life path corrector. You think you should be heading in this direction, but when the eclipse says, no, you have to go in this direction, you can't, you go in the direction that the eclipse puts you. And, and that's pretty much how they, how they work. Hello, my name is Christopher Renstrom, and I'm here right now to tell you about this exciting course that I'm going to be teaching that's going to be coming up soon. It's called Ruling Planets for Unruly Times. And as you can imagine, it's all about the planets in your horoscope. And to help get you started, I'm offering this free gift, which is a printout sheet that lists all the planets and their rulership, along with keywords to keep in mind as we investigate and unpack the meaning of the planets together. You can get this by going to astrologyhub.com. 
youtube.com slash planets guide. I'm so excited about teaching this course and I can't wait to get into all of it with all of you. Now, let's talk about this 29th degree, which has gotten a lot of airplay. The 29th degree is known as a critical degree in astrology, and a lot of times it's referred to as the anoretic degree. Now, the word anoretic is kind of like, was well, that anoretic? Like, like someone who's suffering from anorexia nervosa? No, no, it's not. It, it actually comes from the Greek word anoreta, which means destroyer. I have to confess to you, I've, I've uh, as an astrologer, and when you learn astrology, you take classes, workshops, and things like that. Things like anoretic degrees come up, and 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 you know this is the uh, this is named after the Greek word destroyer, and I always found that to be a little bit of a downer. You know, it's like who like destroyer, and and this is kind of like uh, this is why I began this week's episode with death ray from the stars. You know, it's like. This the anoretic degree has taken on kind of this reputation of being death ray um, from the stars degree of a planet. That any planet at the anoretic degree, you can have your sun at the 29th degree of a sign. The anoretic degree, again, is the 29th degree of a zodiac sign. It is the last degree of a sign. And it it used to have a reputation, still may in some circles, as being very crucial, critical, and maybe even like, you know, death ray, you know, place. And, and so the sun can be there and the Mercury can be there and Saturn can be there. And so I, I wanted to sort of break down, like, where did this all come from, this, this anoretic critical degree? A anoreta is the Greek word and it means destroyer. So any planet transiting this degree or happens to occupy this degree in a NATO chart has a nefarious reputation. It was originally tied to an astrological means of calculating one's physical death. Right. So this is this is really kind of one of the I, I'm not sure if I'm willing to say the origin of it, but it's one of its sources. So so this idea of anoretta was originally tied to an astrological means of calculating one's physical death. And so this was used by astrologers, particularly medieval astrologers and horary astrologers in answering a question to sort of basically predict death, I I suppose. But the way that it could be calculated was in a variety of different manners. So the Adorata may be a malefic planet, okay? So if it's a malefic planet, that's Mars and Saturn. And Mars and Saturn used to really have like a no arguments, awful reputation in astrology. So Adorata may be a malefic planet. It may be the Lord of the Eighth House. That means it rules the zodiac sign that is on the cusp of the Eighth House. It may be the Almutin of the Lord of the Eighth House, which is entirely too complicated for me to go into right now. Or it may be simply a planet placed in the Eighth House. The Eighth House, as you may know, has a reputation for being associated with death. Okay, so, so when you think that an anoretta may be a malefic planet, which could be in a weird chart, the Lord of the Eighth House, the planet that rules the Eighth House, the Almutin of the Lord of the Eighth House, or a planet placed in the eighth house, you kind of had a wide range of what an anoretta could be. And again, this this was all based on techniques which were geared and engineered to basically calculating the end of the life of the person asking. I don't know why anyone would really want to ask when they're going to die. And, and some people, it's a very important question. 
some people, the circumstances are such in which they're dealing with something terminal and they want to know when they want to die, or they're very afraid of a loved one or something like that. But, you know, I'm just going to say I'm one of those astrologers of like, why would you want to know that? But that's just me. Okay. Um, and, and that's just me and I, and I own it. All right. So how the anoretic degree or anoretta, okay, that there could be a planet that can be uh, a, a death dealer, a harm dealer, how this became applied to the 29th degree of a zodiac sign isn't entirely clear. Now, some astrological scholars say that it's based on lunar mansions. Lunar mansions in astrology, something that's an ongoing theme in, in particularly older forms of astrology, is counting, okay, the importance of counting something. Uh, in older societies, they didn't have calculators, they didn't have computers, they didn't even have wall calendars, all right? Okay, we've got those on, on our phone nowadays, but they didn't even really have wall calendars. I mean, almanacs, I think, come into being maybe about the 15th century or, or 14th century. So before then, you're doing a lot of counting. That's why you're setting up your stone hinges and your temples and, and you're aligning them to the stars so you can see particularly where the moon is in the sky. And this is how you're going to count the days to make a month, how the months are going to correspond with the sun at the equinox or the solstice points to divide the year in quarters and then the return of the sun to set up a year or the return of the moon to a designated spot to set up a year. I didn't mean to sort of dump all of that astro astrological history on you like that, but basically it's to make my point, which is counting. Counting is a big thing um, in, older, in older traditions of astrology. And so a lot of different techniques around counting arised in the discipline of astrology, like different astrologies are practiced. Uh, Indian and Chinese astrology is very different from Western astrology, for instance. And then there are the astrologies we don't know about, where I am sure all civilizations have pretty much looked to the sky for counting and for setting up time. But those civilizations, astrology uh, may not have survived in monuments. It might have been more transportable. So we have to leave room for the fact that there are astrologies that we don't know about, and maybe one day we'll excavate and find. Anyway, moving forward. Some astrological scholars say that the 29th degree, which is known as a critical degree, it's the last degree of a zodiac sign, that the 29th degree was based on the lunar mansions. Now, the lunar mansions is referring right away to a lunar calendar. In Western astrology, we pretty much work with a solar calendar that comes from Julius Caesar, who set up the Julian calendar and moved the Roman Empire from a lunar calendar to a solar calendar. Uh, he's the one who sets up that that way of timekeeping. In the West, it's actually based on the Egyptians, but he had a bigger empire at the time. And so what he said went and the entire Roman Empire followed or converted to the solar calendar. The lunar mansions are a series of 28 divisions in the sky that the moon moved through in a year. Okay, so it was basically dividing the sky up in terms of the movement of the moon. And it was divided up into 28 lunar mansions. Basically, what you want to think of is that there are 12 zodiac signs, but the moon takes uh, two signs to go through, and then you could go ahead and do the math from there. So, so that's basically how the lunar mansions were, were set up. It's 28 divisions of the sky based on the movement of the moon through the zodiac signs. 
Um, this play, the Lunar Mansions, played a prominent role in Arabic, Chinese, and Indian astrology. Now, and this is the reason I went into this uh, unpacking here, the last day of the moon in a zodiac sign. Okay. The last day of the moon in a zodiac sign was said to be critical and potentially harmful. So when you remember that a day basically equals a degree on a 360-degree circle, that's what they basically mean. You have 12 signs all divided into 30 degrees. It's 30 days on a calendar without the adjustments we've made right now. Uh, the last degree of the last day was said to be uh, critical and potentially harmful. So this is why the sun at the 29th degree or any planet at the 29th degree is the last degree of a zodiac sign. Uh, this is where it picked up its reputation for being potentially harmful. And then there are other astrological scholars who say that the 29th degree, the critical degree, the last degree of a sign, was based on the terms of the sign. Uh, once again, we get into counting. I'm not going to walk you through that whole sort of exercise. But each astrological sign, I, I, I believe this is an Egyptian tradition. Someone please correct me on that, you know, in the comments. But each astrological sign was divided into five parts, which were called terms. Uh, it was basically a division of 30 into five. So there's roughly six-ish or four-ish degrees on the terms. They were not always equal. And each of these terms were assigned a planetary rulership. It gets really complicated. But the reason I'm going into this is because terms were a division of the sign into five parts. It was always the last part, okay? So it was the last maybe four degrees of a sign, three degrees of a sign, specifically the last degree of a sign that was ruled by a malefic planet. Okay, so Mars always rules. If you look at terms, if you look at zodiac signs divided into terms, Mars will always rule the last term, or Saturn will always rule the last term. Either Mars or Saturn will always rule the last term of a zodiac sign. And so that's where it also got this very negative or malicious or malevolent reputation. So what does it mean to have an eclipse at the 29th degree? of Aries, like we're going to be having this week, all right? It's something that has many of us in the astrological community abuzz, you know, um, like, what does that mean? Is that, you know, battening down the hatches? Is that, you know, is, is that going to be a difficult situation? What, what's going to happen? And of course, as I just described to you, a lot, uh, there are a lot of sources for looking at that, which are coming from an anxious place or an anxiety-driven uh, place. And so I really wanted you to have that sense of history. There, there are the traditional rulerships that anything happening here in a solar eclipse might pretend um, the death of someone in power. Or, or war. Okay, those are the two things that pretty much go hand in hand with something like that. And I think that we have to sort of respect that it is taking place at the 29th degree, which is a very crucial or very important degree. And so that is something that we have to sort of, you know, put into the mix. We, we have to look at that and, and sort of watch the skies uh, to see what comes from that. But not all of us are going to be living in super duper critical times or, or watching the fall of a ruler or, or the collapse of a country. 
all at the same time. And, and, and many of us are living more day-to-day lives. So what is this going to mean? Okay. Like, like, okay. Like, like on a world stage, this is the history of that kind of interpretation. But in the day-to-day life of us, what does that mean? I mean, of course, we can be impacted by an enormous world event. Okay. Um, we've been impacted by a number of enormous world events lately, but you know, this may be another one or one that's particularly crucial or critical. But as I said, as astrology gets practiced, and this isn't that an improvement is being made on astrology. What it is, is that we always have to remember astrology is over 2,500 years old. And so it's carrying a lot of history, what we might call baggage these days. But at the same time, a lot of the reference points, you know, the descriptions, like for instance, the ones that I just shared with you, are garbled. They're, they're from maybe incomplete texts. They've been mixed up by translators. We may not have a complete set of rules. So sometimes astrology is an exercise in reconstruction and excavation. And sometimes astrology is an exercise in how do I take this discipline and how do I take this vocabulary and how do I apply it to the life that I'm living now? And something that's emerged in the last 2,500 years is an emphasis on individual spirituality and owning one's life and, and, and guiding one's life. And so this is where astrology can also be of tremendous help. And there has been so much done in astrology in the last hundred plus years, which have made some really remarkable contributions to astrology as well. But what it gets down to is this. Art isn't the same that it was 2,500 years ago. Okay. I mean, if, if we had an insistence, like sometimes there's like, well, astrology has to be purified or whatever. Everyone's always like, it has to be purified or whatever. Art isn't what it was 2,500 years ago. Cooking isn't what it was 2,500 years ago. And we like to sort of say, well, things have been improved upon. There have been innovations and things like that. But that's not necessarily true either. It just, it's not necessarily true actually at all. I mean, there are people who really prefer uh, ancient Mayan sculpture to a Picasso or to a Renaissance uh, statue. I mean, you know, it's about taste and it's about you know, the story of our civilization that's being told. And this is what astrology is all about. So like, like art or like cuisines, it can't help evolving, but not necessarily into becoming something better, but growing into something different than it was before, yet maintaining a through line, I think is really what I want to say. I like what my friend Frank Clifford has to say about the 29th degree of a zodiac sign, which is really, this this, this is marking the end of a planet's stay in the zodiac sign. Um, the beginning of the sign might feel like, oh, it's a new, it's, it's a brave new world. You know, a planet at zero or one degrees might be, oh, it's a brave new world, more optimistic or setting off on the adventure of being in a sign. And the 29th degree is really winding it up. It's not critical like it's reached a zenith, Uh, That, I imagine, would be in the middle degrees of a sign, but it's critical because it's coming to an end and it's marking the end. So this sense of end or this sense of finality might be something which which is resonating with you right now, like you're bringing things in for a landing. But what we also have to remember, this is what I love about astrology because you deal with the different layers. You also have to remember that Aries 
here in the Northern Hemisphere. So my apologies to everyone in the Southern Hemisphere who don't relate. You can't relate. How could you relate uh, to Aries being a spring sign? But uh, symbolically, that's where Aries comes from. It's it, it, it's a zodiac sign that's associated with beginnings. And so the relationship of ending and beginning is really, really strong here with the eclipse. You know, what, what, what do you have to end or conclude in order to begin or to start? What's, what's the old business that has to be taken care of? That might be one way of looking at it. And because it's an eclipse, there's going to be an, because it's an eclipse in Aries, there's going to be an urgency about it. So what do you have to take care of in order to launch an endeavor or begin a relationship or move into a home or to have a child or to embark on the road to recovery? What, what do you have to take care of and in order to embark on that new life chapter or that new life path that's starting? And our relationships to beginnings can be just as complex as our relationship to endings. You know, we can be like, oh, the, you know, the deadline, I'm, I'm, it's keeping me awake at night, whether I'm going to meet it or not, or, or I don't want to end something because that means I have to begin something new. And I, I have no idea of what I would begin that would be something new. Okay, so these are our relationships to endings. Beginnings can be just as complicated. Okay, and we're kind of dealing with an ending beginning thing here. Okay, so there may be like, you're, you're not in a preparation stage with an eclipse at the 29th degree. You're in a launching stage with a solar eclipse at the 29th degree. So this isn't, isn't getting things together or getting prepped. This is you're cooking the meal, which people at your restaurant are expecting to appear on their plate, like in like, you know, uh, 20 minutes or 10 minutes, or it has to be right now. It's kind of chopped for astrology. If you think about it, you get X amount of time to work with these ingredients and put something together. You know, and you see the way the chefs are always like, I need more time or, uh, you know, to, to complete this. And, and the judges are like, well, you're just not going to get it, you know? And they're like, and that fellow comes on, I'm sorry, you've been chopped. Okay. So, so, so there's that kind of urgency that's going on here. So that's going to be part of what's going on with this particular solar eclipse. I have to take care of this in order to launch something new. It's, it's, it's very urgent. It's very now. It's very up the moment. And then what I find fascinating is just after the sun moves into the first degree of Taurus, and at that moment, it squares Pluto and Aquarius, which has just been there. So literally, you have a race to finish in order to begin, and then you have the first, the first quarterly square of the sun and Pluto. Pluto in the sign of Aquarius and the sun in the zodiac sign of Taurus. How is this going to manifest? How is this going to feel? Um, like you basically hit the buzzer, made your choice, and now you have to live with it. Okay, so the, it's going to feel literally as if, okay, that's what you're going with. Door closed, move forward. And that's what it's going to feel like. So there's going to be this sense of making a choice, uh, taking action. The door has closed. That's final. You cannot go back and you have to move forward. You have to deal with the consequences of that. And that will be around this, this part of the week. It's kind of like there's the race to, I don't know, develop the atomic bomb. You know, there was this big race to develop the atomic bomb. Like we have to develop this atomic bomb. Uh, our, our victory in World War II depends on it. The Germans are developing it. The Japanese are developing it. And so Americans, we have to race to develop this atomic bomb, you know. And so 
what happens is that when you're racing to complete something, your, your, your horizons narrow. It's the focus. I have to complete this and I have to do it first. I have to get the atomic bomb first. Okay, so America develops the atomic bomb first. Door closes. All of a sudden, it's like, okay, this world is now, this world now has an atomic bomb. Do you sort of see what I'm saying? It's very different from like, I've got to develop that atomic bomb. Everything uh, depends on this to, wow, life with an atomic bomb. And what's that going to mean? And that has been the story of our lives since its detonation in 1945 uh, in, in war. Okay, it transformed the world completely. And that's, in essence, what's happening here. Um, so, in, and, and the weird thing is, it's not an action that, you know, you feel like taking that we're talking about. It's an action you have to take. Okay, that, there's a faded quality to, to the eclipse, an action you have to take. Or it's already been decided. And so it's playing out. And, and, and then you step over this threshold into the Pluto sun square. And it's dealing with the consequences. So what, what are we dealing with, with a Sun-Pluto square? Pluto, whenever you have a modern planet, whenever you have a modern planet, change zodiac signs, the world changes, okay? The view of the world changes. The world as it is changes. Uh, Neptune uh, entering uh, Pisces changed the world quite significantly. I mean, what it ushered in alternative facts and uh, uh, truths and lies that we don't believe in. I mean, everything. Truth was completely, you know, open for interpretation or even bias and prejudice once Neptune entered uh, uh, Pisces. That's part of what it brought about. Uranus and Aries was very fiery. But actually, I have to, Christopher, Uranus is in Taurus right now. We'll think of how much world economies and territories and boundaries have gotten shaken up since Uranus has entered the zodiac sign of Taurus. And so Pluto has entered the zodiac sign of Aquarius. Yes, it retrogrades back down into Capricorn to take care of some old business towards the end of the year. But then it re-enters with great uh, conviction and forward movement Aquarius at the beginning of next year. So we're dealing with the world according to Aquarius, or rather the world according to Pluto in Aquarius. And one of the things that we know from Saturn having been in, in Aquarius in the past two and a half years is two things. Um, everyone is interconnected on the planet, okay? There's no such thing as like West or East or, um, you know, I'm going to be this society existing over here. I'm going to be that society existing over here. Everyone is interconnected. We all knew that theoretically. We all knew that culturally in some way, maybe even metaphysically, economically, certainly. But that all came to a head when basically uh, Saturn shut down the world and everyone was sent to their corners because of COVID. Okay, this was the world coming to a stop. All societies, full stop. Saturn used to be the last of the seven uh, ancient planets, and it was the last of the seven ancient planets before we added Uranus, Neptune, Pluto. So there was a full stop with that Saturn and Aquarius, and everyone got to know quite intimately that the world could stop. And also issues of mortality arose, okay? And so everyone was connected on that. Now, Saturn has moved on to Pisces. That's a different subject. But now we have Pluto entering Aquarius. So that question, okay, that question that Saturn asked initially and Pluto's going to build on is, or the idea is a society is only as good as the people in it. Hmm? 
This is kind of the story of Aquarius. A society is only good as the people in it. Each of us make up a greater society, um, and each of us bears the responsibility of a good society. And then we bring in, you know, the, the pull between past and future, right and left, those revolutionary, uh, rebellious, struggling forces that are so identifiable with the zodiac sign of Aquarius. So basically, putting it into simple terms, so what does Pluto and Aquarius mean? Pluto and Aquarius essentially means new rules, all right? We have new rules now, and Pluto and Aquarius essentially means that society is changing, okay? That way of being in society that became so um, uh, uh, concretized by Pluto in, in, in Capricorn, and actually I could, I won't, but I could make a case for the last 250 years, but anyway, um, that uh, based on the Jupiter-Saturn conjunctions, but you know, that world is gone. That door has closed, all right? And now we are in a Pluto in Aquarius world. And that's the difference between a 29th and a, and, and a zero degree, okay? The 29th is, this is ending, your time's up, this is chopped, you either get the food on the table and the judge's judge in time or you're eliminated, or, and now, you know, you went to the next round of chopped or you're on to the next... You're onto the next thing. You're onto the new world, the new world of Aquarius. So Aquarius takes into account everyone's points of view and says everyone's points of view matter and need to be heard. So what often happens is people start gathering together in groups. And if you have the more powerful group, maybe your point of view is going to be heard. But I don't know if that's going to continue like that with Pluto in Aquarius. It's, it's really going to be that translation for it's going to be that rough translation of how do you get humanity to rise up to the ideals and, and the virtues that humanity has embraced for centuries. It's not just an academic debate anymore. It's one of survival. And that's where the Pluto component comes into it. And each of us, each of us has a part to play. So what science is this going to be affecting? This new rules door has closed. You can't go back to that anymore. Well, obviously, Aquarians. Pluto is in your sign, so you're going to be going through that Plutonian experience of ordeal and the transformation that arises from it. That can sound like, oh my goodness, that sounds harsh. But what it can actually be is that you may all of a sudden be experiencing in yourself and your life this feeling that might have started quiet, but it's becoming louder of, I'm mad and I'm not going to take it anymore. You know, I'm not going to take it anymore. No more suspending judgment, no more working for a better tomorrow. That tomorrow takes place today. And so Pluto may bring up a sense of like things that felt like they were further down the road are now very much front and center and that you are at the helm of the ship with this. So, So there's a real strong stepping up to the plate that's going on for Aquarians in their lives right now. Uh, that could translate as taking on positions of authority or taking on director positions, but there's very much a stepping up to the plate and people are going to be looking to you uh, to bring about those Aquarian virtues that you've spoken about before. Okay, so that's going to be very important. And, and of course, for Aquarius, the emphasis is going to be the whole group. Is everyone being heard? Is everyone being served in that regard? For Taurus, which is the sub part of the square, uh, this is Pluto and Aquarius is going to bring out one of your most difficult, challenging traits, which is the idea of sharing. 
Victorians are notoriously bad at sharing. They don't like it. Um, you know, if someone's like, oh, can I, you know, eat off your plate or can I share the Torians don't like to share. It's mine. Okay. And 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 so Taurus has a real hard time with the idea of sharing and dealing with other people in their space. So this is something that's going to become much more prominent for Torians. They have to develop a relationship to sharing, whether it's their time, whether it's information, whether it's their bodies or their property. But it's the idea of sharing is something that's going to become much more prominent for Torians following on the heels of this square. The other sign that's going to be having difficulty with this is Scorpio, because Pluto and Aquarius is very transparent. Everything is accountable and everything must be seen. Scorpions don't have a great relationship to transparency. They like their hidden corners and their dark, their dark places. Okay, they like to hide things out of sight. Basically, because it, it might be based on discretion, it might be based on, um, you know, this information is giving me leverage over something else. So Scorpion, Scorpios aren't really into changing the rules of their life, but Pluto and Aquarius is going to insist on it. It's going to insist that Scorpios change to bring in other people's point of views and other people's contributions. If you're a Scorpio, you're probably breaking a cold sweat at this point. Okay, so so this is something that Scorpions are going to be dealing with, uh, the idea of like listening and incorporating another person's point of view and finding a way to relate, even though everything about you is saying, you know, this person's full of caca, I don't have to listen to this, I'm not going to change this, you know, uh, that, that thing that comes out with Scorpios when they're faced with change. And finally, for Leos, for Leos, what you're going to be experiencing, both because of the trine of the energy coming out of Aries, as well as the opposition to Pluto, is that it's never been more important for you to be you. All right. Uh, Leo is a sign in which being yourself, being your genuine self is really important. Individuality, um, being your own person is such a cardinal virtue to a Leo. No, no sign really celebrates individuality more than a Leo does their own, but also they celebrate the individuality of other people. And so Leos have this kind of side where they need the approval or people to like them. You know, I mean, like, they can be very sort of bold and whatever, but if someone's like, you know, oh, you know, I don't like this or whatever, they're like, Oh, what can I do to make it better? You'll get, but but this this Pluto opposition is going to push you, Leo, to be the best person that you can be. But it's not the best person you can be. Is like I'm the most successful. I'm the most wealthy. I'm the most beautiful. I'm the most influential influencer. It's not that. It's the best person you can be as a role model for others. Are you the most compassionate you can be? Are you the most generous you can be? Are you the noblest that you can be? These are the questions that are going to be posited for Leos as Pluto and its opposition uh, really creates that tension between the, between the two sides of the tug-of-war rope. Leos are going to feel more and more like they are heard, that they are seen, which is going to beg the question, of course, you better be saying something that's worth hearing. And you better be doing something that's worth seeing, okay? It's not enough just to be like, I want to be seen and recognized. You're being held up in this Aquarian standard. You're being held up as a sun to shine 
And are you overbearing or are you a guiding light? So these are the big questions that those fixed signs are going to be facing with this first square that the sun and the Pluto will be making in the sky. So there's a lot to look forward to with this event. Remember, eclipses take about a year, sometimes as long as two years to play out. But the idea of a door shutting, something ending and beginning on a new path is very, very strong. We like to think that we stride forward in our new paths with a sense of direction. But many of us stumble or trip over our shoelaces or remember something that we didn't pack and that we have to go back to or, you know, are striding boldly. But all of a sudden we need a map and we want to consult with Siri as to where exactly we're going. So. What I would ask you to do with this upcoming eclipse, which looks like it's going to be a, a, a life changer, is embrace the adventure of, of starting off in something new and also embrace the humor of starting off in something new, something that is symbolized by both the solar eclipse at the last degree of Aries, followed by the sun in Taurus forming its first square, its first square to Pluto in the zodiac sign of Aquarius. Your weekly horoscope is brought to you by Astrology Hub. If you'd like more extended personalized guidance from Christopher by sun sign and rising, make sure you subscribe to receive the free weekly horoscope delivered via email to your inbox each Sunday. Just go to astrologyhub.com horoscope and start receiving even more free personalized guidance today. That's astrologyhub.com horoscope. And if you love what we do and would like to support our work, please subscribe to the podcast, give us some stars, and if you feel inclined, leave us a review. It does so much to help us get quality astrology out to the world, and we're grateful for all the time that you take to do this. Thank you for listening in today, and as always, thank you for making astrology a part of your life.